Hey, let's jump into today, today's passage. Today we're looking at Luke 24. And uh, we're going to look at this. I, I love the book of Luke because it's the orderly account. If you are new to the faith and you're like, I got to figure this Jesus thing out, start in Luke because it's like everything is in place. He's methodically saying, this is how it went down. He's going he's gonna to dot his I's, he's going to cross his T's, and he's going to say, uh, this is the reason I wrote this book is for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he's going to say that there are many people that saw Jesus many times, and he's going to lay it all out for us. We're going to look at one particular moment. We are going to look at the account through the lens of three women. There are three named women that come to the tomb. And so we're going to look at it in Luke 24. But there's a moment that happens to these women that changes human history. This moment that may have lasted like one minute or two minutes tops changes human history. But you have to think about something about these women. This is not okay to say in 2023, but I want to put it into context with this. If you were to make up a story, so if you were to say, okay, the resurrection story is made up. Someone made it up. Luke and all the gospels, they're just made up. The last thing that you would do is you would say that the women were the main people that came. In that day, the women had very little rights, let alone the right to testify. They, they were not really like the witnesses that you would pick. And so they, they had like rules on what they could even testify in court. So like, for example, if you had a riding a donkey and you got in a fender bitter with another donkey, you would hope that a male witnessed it instead of a female because they wouldn't. No, joking. That's not how it worked. But you weren't in testifying in court was not a thing that you were allowed to. So they're not credible witnesses. And Luke has this problem and all the, the people that are sharing the gospel have this problem because they're saying, we need to show that this is a physical, historical resurrection. And yet the people that came on it were people that were not viewed as credible witnesses in the time that this was written. And so we have this problem. But at the same time, it's this amazing problem. Because if you think about it, it's this judo move that God does. Because why would you write, if you were making it up, that women came? That'd be the dumbest thing that you could do. Instead, they're saying, no, this is so accurate. This is so important that God in only God ways makes it more credible that the women witnessed it. And I love it. Luke 24. Let's read the whole thing. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel and as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you when he was still in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of, uh, must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words and returned from the tomb. They told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to be an idle tale and they did not believe him. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves and he went home marveling at what had happened. Amen. Amen. 
It's interesting. I was uh, writing this sermon on a plane. I was coming back from Nashville last week, and uh, it was uh, some storms that were coming. If you remember, there was a tornado outbreak, and the storms were about an hour away from hitting Nashville. And so I'm like texting people here at church, like, I may not make it back to church, which is okay. Uh, I think Marty was preaching. We were all clear. Uh, and I, I, I wrote, uh, I kind of was like, okay, am I going to get out or am I not going to get out? And I got onto the plane, and I sat down, and there was a young woman that was next to me. And the first thing she says to me is, have you ever flown in a storm before? And uh, I, in my past life, before I was doing this, I flew all over the world, all over the country, all the time. And so I've been through lots and lots of storms. And she, I said, yes, I, I've been through storms. She said, this is my first time flying. She said, am I going to be safe? I felt confident to say you're going to be safe. And then she said, is it going to be bumpy? And I'm confessing in front of the congregation today, I may have said a little fib. And I was like, I'm sure that they're going to fly around it. It'll be smooth. You'll be fine. But this girl's freaking out. She's white knuckling and we're on the ground, you know, kind of thing. And it's this incredible moment. And so we, we take off at about 10 or 15 minutes in. I've never experienced this. And all the time that I've been flying, all the windows are the brightest white light. You hear the loudest pop that you've ever heard. And the electricity goes zzzz. We got hit by lightning. I never knew this. I got hit by lightning. This girl is about to throw up. Everyone's screaming. The pilot comes on right after and says, uh, yes, we did get hit by lightning. We probably will be okay. That's not what you want to hear. He said, we'll get back on and we'll give you an update. Probably okay is not what we hear. It's like going to the doctor. They're like, we're probably not going to have to amputate that leg. And you're like, all right. Well, that's, I guess, better than we are going to have to. And so we fly. And, I, and luckily, I had, I had the internet on my phone. And I said, look, the internet's working. I think we're okay. As long as the internet's working, that's like going baseline in 2023. <laughs> and I look it up, and it, it's, it's fairly common that a plane gets hit by, by lightning. And I reassured her that we were going to be okay, even though she was still freaking out. But what's amazing is that we're in a place in human history. I'm like 15,000 feet up into the air. Nashville to Seattle is three and a half hours. That used to take years. There would be like all of us, if we were traveling Nashville to Seattle, we'd be a whole people, new people group by the time we got here. Half y'all would die of tuberculosis. You know, you played the Oregon Trail. If you were in my age, you knew what was going down. But we get hit by lightning and we don't go plummeting to the ground. It's amazing. We are living in a day and age where we think we have it all figured out. If your plane gets hit by lightning and you're up in the air, you just sit there and you think, what haven't we figured out? This is insane. We're in a society that is reaching and believes that we can achieve anything. And yet with all the advancement, with all the science, with all the tech, with all the medicine that is available to us, we still have this problem. We still have this one problem, and that one problem is we have not figured out yet how to overcome death. As a society, we have this problem. We are in a world where, there, where things are less inevitable. If we get sick, the things are less inevitable, and yet we're also at a place where death is still unavoidable. It is. And now put yourself in the shoes of these women. In 2023, this story of the resurrection would be a mind-blowing thing still. And these women, 2,000 years ago, this would have been like, what in the world is happening? First verse tells us a lot, Luke 24. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. It's clear that the women are heading to the tomb, fully expecting a body. 
There is no evidence that they would have thought that there was not going to be a body there. Even though Jesus, throughout his ministry, was saying, guys, listen, this is what is about to happen. We see this, that not everyone would have understood it because they find, instead of a body, they find an empty tomb. And two angels appear, and they ask this amazing question. We're going to live on this question a little bit today because I think it's one of the most profound questions that's asked in the Bible. This is one of my favorite verses in the whole of Scripture, and it's an important question for us right now. Luke 24, 5 says, Why do you seek the living things among the dead? What a question. The angels ask this question, and they start with why. It's really fascinating to ask, they start with why. It's not like they say, what are you doing here? Or some sort of question that you're just like, I'm looking for Jesus' body. And they say, why? You know, it's interesting. When you, you, when you start a question with why, it's powerful. You, when you start a question with why, it starts to help you think critically and start to reflect on why are you doing this? It gets to motives. It gets to feelings. It gets to conviction. It gets to insecurities, whatever it is. But the question why really begins to pull this out of you. And it prompts this examine of their thought processes. And it's amazing because so often, oftentimes I'll be in prayer time. And, and I say this from stage all the time if you're a redeemed person. Prayer is so critical to the ministry, but prayer is so critical to you and your own personal ministries. But oftentimes, we don't spend time just listening to the Lord, saying, hey, Lord, what do you have for me? And more often than not, it's kind of annoying if we're being honest, the Spirit and the Lord will speak to me, and he'll ask a question, and it starts with why. The Lord cares about motives. He cares about why you're doing something. And, and I see here that we see the Lord is building up these women's faith at the same time unveiling the greatest moment in human history, because in Luke 24, they go on, it says, why do you seek the living among the dead. Why are you in search of living things in tombs? That's what they're asking. Why would you go out to tombs? Living things are not in tombs. And I think this is an important question for us. And when we think about where we're at as a society, this is a huge question. Whether you're a believer in this room or you're not yet a believer, we're still faced with this same question because we do it on a daily basis. In today's world, I think we, believe, we spend most our lives looking for living things amongst dead things. Often we find ourselves looking for life in dead things. We are seeking fulfillment in the dead things of this world. We're looking for satisfaction in the things that will never provide satisfaction for us. We are looking for comfort in all the things that the world tells us will bring us comfort and it won't. Outside of Jesus Christ, we can't find anything. Instead of finding our security, finding our hope, and living life in view of the resurrected Jesus Christ, we're looking for hope and we're looking for life and dead things. If you're if anybody in here, I can get an amen on this. Because I'm right up here. This is like a preaching to myself message, okay? Some of us are searching for life and relationships that often let us down. I say it all the time to my wife, and, and I'll say it to the, in front of the church. If you're looking for fulfillment or you're looking for me to be the most dependable guy, you're always going to be let down. We in our human nature, we, you cannot put your hope in another person. You can't. We try to find our hope in another. We, we try to find fulfillment and happiness through a spouse 
or through a boyfriend or through a girlfriend or through a parent, whatever that is, we ultimately, ultimately, ultimately will be let down. Some of us have a bad habit of people-pleasing. Can I get an amen in this room? We start to say, hey, if I just fulfill myself in this person, that they'll give me my, the love back. And we find ourselves just chasing after hope and life by what people think of us. Some of us have a self-help mindset. If I could just improve, if I just follow these practices, if I just follow these guide, guidelines, uh, comfort and meaning will come into my life. I hear that all the time, especially amongst the young generation. Like there is a lie out there that you will will yourself to a better life. Some of us find feel hope through addiction. Whether you like it or not, you find yourself in, in some sort of drugs or alcohol or even pornography where you just find yourself like, man, I know that that's dead things, but man, I want to find life in it. Maybe we find anxiety or worry or just this place that we can find ourselves or and career success, or whatever it is, achieving your goals or wealth or whatever it is, the Lord is saying, why are you looking for the living amongst the dead? We chase after these things and we think we feel more alive, but when we come, we feel even more dead inside. Do you ever feel that? Because I think in some areas of our lives, when we think about the living, resurrected life, we have the same issues as these women. There's three things that I'm going to point out of how these women kind of interact in this in this season and they don't do anything wrong but i think there's some insights on what the resurrected life looks like for us based off these women number one they go to the tomb expecting death because all the evidence was death again the women are going to the tomb and it's clear that they're expecting a body their whole last few days have been marked by the killing of their rabbi it's been marked by the killing of their teacher it's been marked by the killing of their beloved friend we know this. We know that they were at the place. They were at the cross. They were at the place of skull, as it's called. And they watched Jesus, Luke 23, and all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle when they saw what had taken place, returned home, beating their breasts and all his acquaintances. And the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. They were there. They were at the cross. They witnessed death in the most inhumane way that you can witness death. They saw it with their own eyes. They knew that this happened. Not only did they see that, but they would have seen the burial process as well. They go on. Now, there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man who had not consented to their decision and action, and he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever yet been laid. It was a day of preparation and the Sabbath was beginning. Jesus' burial was not an afterthought. The women had witnessed this. It says this, uh, Joseph, a good and upright man, had taken his body. Now, it's important to note, the body of a criminal was often not taken care of. It was garbage. It was thrown away. Joseph, this good and upright man, he goes to Pilate. He says, I want this body. He takes him down the cross. The women are witnessing this. He wraps him with a shroud and he takes him to the tomb. You know, it's interesting. 
Many of you have experienced the death of a loved one. Uh, it's one of the most final moments that you can ever have at the graveside. If you've ever experienced that, whenever I get invited as a pastor or as a friend or as a family member, I, I hold it with such high regard, probably higher regard than anything else that I do. Because when you go to a graveside, you're experiencing and someone is inviting you into one of the most final moments that they will have with someone that they deeply love. And these women were at the graveside service. They witnessed him being put into a tomb. And we know that they were there. Luke 23 goes on. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. What more evidence do you want? They saw Jesus' death. They saw him get taken off the cross. They saw him get laid into a tomb. All the evidence is death. And so often we go through life up against this. We want things to change. We desire for something to change. We desire to be free from that addiction. We uh, desire to be freed from uh, people pleasing. We desire to be freed from uh, any uh, deadening feeling that we feel as we walk around. And we sit there and we think about things and we really try to get our earthly minds around the challenges and the pains that we've experienced and our history of brokenness. And we say this, it's just dead. But that kind of thinking keeps us so far from the resurrected life, from hope and joy, because any area of our life, oftentimes the evidence points to death, but we know that the hope is in Jesus. Number two, spiritual eyes get overruled by doing. Preaching to myself on this one as well. We see there's a job to do for these women. Normally there's an elaborate process for preparing a body. For the burial and Jesus body just receives a quick wrapping because it's the Sabbath and so it's limited in what they can do and so it said this that they would go home and they had to prepare the spices this was tradition this is just what you do if your friend or loved one had died this is what you do look there's nothing that these women did wrong by any means but we see this that in the doing even though all the evidence pointed to death in the middle, they have responsibilities. They have to do these things. And our beliefs drive our actions. And here we see the women are acting this way because Jesus is dead. All the evidence points to it. And the next steps are to take care of the body. Can anybody relate to this? Does busyness keep us from the resurrected life? Because it does me. When we're operating in the mindset of our earthly perspective, we miss it. What we're going to see that's so beautiful is that Jesus' resurrection is going to pull them out of the earthly mindset back to the heavenly mindset where we all are supposed to live. The reality of the world is just this. Number, number three, the reality of the world gets in the way sometimes, right? It just comes at us. Not only were they witnesses and experience of the death of Jesus, not only did they prepare the body for burial, the reality of things just start to set place. They were three days in on this. They were three days in on this. Not only did they witness and experience it, but they had to sit and wait. And if you've ever sat and wait, waited, three days is a long time. They weren't, they weren't able to get distracted by YouTube and Netflix. They were in it. 
They were processing it. They were thinking about it. And what we see is that it's a long time. And probably the new reality has set in. If you ever have lost somebody, this reality comes, gets set in. Jesus is no longer available. Jesus is no longer around. My Messiah, my rabbi, my, the man that I have followed is no longer there to answer questions or just be there with me. There seems to be like maybe even an eagerness if I was there for three days. Like, I just want to get there and get it done so that this will all be over with. They saw the rock. They knew that it was over. Even though they knew the power of Jesus, sometimes the reality of the world is so powerful. They had seen, if, they have heard, if not seen, the girl get raised from the dead. They had experienced Lazarus get raised from the dead. But the reality of the world is this, and this is the lie that we hear over and over again. Dead things just remain dead. They just remain dead. Earthly perspective is simply that. Sometimes we can miss the resurrected life that we are called to because we let the reality of the world come in. Now, after the angels ask this important question, why do you look for the living amongst the dead? We also see this, that they respond with this one of the most important words in your faith. If you've been coming to Redeem for a while, you know that I say this over and over again. One of the most important words to your faith, the angels say this next. They respond with this word, remember. Luke 24, 6-8, he said, He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and crucified and on the third day rise, and they remembered his word. So often, I believe we're looking for living things amongst the dead because we so quickly forget the promises of Jesus. We so quickly forget the promises of the Lord. Remember, these are women who have been walking alongside Jesus. They had been experiencing Jesus, it says, he told you. It said, he told you why he was with you in Galilee. They were witnessing this, this thing. Joanna was mentioned in Luke 8, 3. She was a follower of Jesus. She had significant means. She was one of the main funders of the ministry. She was just popping like it's hot. <laughs> the other thing we see is that Mary Magdalene was delivered by Jesus from seven demons. We find that in Luke 8. That, that we, she, she had become a follower in light of this. And Mary, the mother of James, was a follower, and so they most likely would have heard these teachings. Matthew 17, when they came together in Galilee, he said to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and on the third day he will be raised to life. And the disciples were filled with grief. The disciples, those that were with him, they had forgotten at the very least, it didn't register to them that this was going to happen. Either way, they didn't have the resurrection in mind. And they were looking for the, the dead things amongst the living. Because, they were looking for living things amongst the dead because they forgot. And we see this right here. Jesus rises Lazarus from the dead. And the promise is made here. John 11, Diego read it. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing me will never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Before Jesus 
demonstrated his resurrection power by raising himself to life. He's saying, not only do I have the power of the death, he's saying, I am life. I am life. He, Jesus is life. Jesus is life and all is fullness, meaning we no longer simply exist. We are resurrected people who have fullness of life. Why would we go looking for dead th or living things in death when we look for living things in life itself, Jesus Christ? He is the resurrection. In him, we experience resurrected life. We no longer chase over hope and life in, in dead things. He is our hope and he is our life. Just like those women at the tomb, the call is the same for us. He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you. Half the faith game is this. Remember how he told you. Remember these things. One of the most dangerous things about faith right now is that you guys all think that you're on your own on this. There's a reason that there's traditions. There's a reason we go to church. There's a reason that we pass this on from generation to generation to generation because we remember what he told you. I want to end here. Paul, throughout his letters, is speaking of the resurrected life. He's laying out in his letters what the resurrected life looks like. If you want to move beyond your current reality, Paul lays it out of this is what the resurrected life looks like. Philippians 3, 10 through 11. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his re resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in death. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead, Paul is saying that when we step into the resurrected life, when we believe in Jesus with our whole being, not just with our tongue, not just with, because my family's Christian, when we say, me, myself, Kurt, put yourself in there, that with my whole heart, I'm chasing after Jesus. I'm putting my faith in Jesus Christ. I'm putting my faith in the Lord who can save because I can't save myself. We believe that Jesus died for our sins, that he took our punishment, that he overcame death. All of us feel shortcomings. All of us. If you don't, you're lying to yourself. You all know that you fall short of what your full potential is. And Jesus is saying, I know that too. And God was saying, I'm going to send my only son because I know that about yourself. And there's going to be an empty tomb, not one full of a dead body because you will always fall short. So when we say that you overcame death, we become a new creation. You're no longer you. You're no longer you. You're a new creation in Christ. And as a new creation, the knowledge of Christ becomes our main pursuit. What is he talking about? This is a revolutionary effect if you live this way. It makes us stop loving the world and the dead things that are in the world that we know ultimately. When we're done with them, they leave us feeling empty or even more dead inside than we thought that they were. We go to pornography or we go to addiction or we go to alcohol or we go to people pleasing or we go to anger or we go to worry or we go to anything and we say, somehow this makes me feel alive. And after you're done, you feel even worse about yourself. 
There's an emptiness. There's a death. Why are you looking for the dead things or the living amongst the dead things? Instead, we set our minds to life. And with that, we gain a whole new power for our life, the power of his resurrection. When we say yes to Jesus, not only do we get put in Christ, but we share in the same resurrection power. The Holy Spirit, the one who raised Jesus from the dead, now lives in you. The problem being is this. The spirit of this world is deafening right now. And it is calling you to the mundane life. And maybe you don't drink too much. Maybe you are a good person. Maybe you have all that, that kind of stuff. But he's calling you to more Netflix and more YouTube and more dead things than life. And you're entering in this thing where you're saying, I'm simply existing. And the resurrected power is saying all that dead stuff that you have, all that stuff that you, those emptying feelings, that feeling of depression, that feeling of worry, that feeling of anxiety, you place it in Jesus and you experience the resurrected life and you move from the mundane to life and life in all its fullness. And I'm tired of walking around and seeing people in the mundane life, people who call themselves believers or don't call themselves believers. And Jesus is saying, I have life and life in all its fullness. And, this, and this, the, the demonic in this world is saying, no, you stay here. You stay here in the grave where you're expecting a body. Did Jesus really raise from the tomb? Resurrected life is that. Now, I don't want to oversell this as well. Because we also, it says here, we find life in Christ when we join in his suffering. Life isn't always easy, and that's one of the other problems that we have. Sometimes we find ourselves in this place where we're like, I believed in Jesus one time, but life just got too hard. But it's actually in our, in our suffering that we experience Jesus in a whole new way. We experience the resurrection of Jesus, Paul tells us, in our suffering. We take our circumstances, and instead of saying, I'm going to take these circumstances that are so hard, I'm going to try to find something to ease the pain. I'm going to find something to make my life just a little bit better. Instead, we take our circumstances and we put them in Christ too. And we said, you are the resurrection and the life. I place all of that in you. And at the same time, there's good news for us as well. Because we share in his glory. We share in his resurrection. In some way, somehow, through his resurrection, we too in him will be resurrected in all his glory. But Monday comes at you. The reality of the world comes at you. The if you go home today and you're eating your ham and scalloped potatoes like I'm about to, you sit there and you begin to think about the things that you need the Lord to move. And you say, that's just been dead for years. That's just dead. Or you begin to say, did the resurrection actually happen? And Luke's saying, look, the resurrection is the most important moment in human history. And it's not just so that someday we'll be with God forever and eternity. He's saying, no, the resurrected life to pursue Christ. Paul says in Corinthians that, that 
if the resurrection didn't happen, everything's useless, everything's worthless. This is the most important thing in human history. Stand up with me if you don't mind. The women came expecting death. Instead, they experienced life. And they saw an empty tomb, and the stone was rolled away. And in that moment, the resurrected Jesus gave us the power beyond the grave. He overcame death. Hallelujah. You are not going to... Everyone listen. If there's one thing that you take from this, and I'm just going to pray real quick because I'm going to say this, but I want to do this because my words will do nothing outside of this power of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, will you speak right now? Anyone in here, a believer or not a believer who is so far from life right now, will you draw them closer? Will you let my words just have power because of you? You convict. You encourage, you bring truth in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you are here and you've been looking for life anywhere apart from Jesus, I'm here to tell you it's like the women coming to that tomb. You have to stop expecting death and instead say, I am in Jesus Christ. I heard while I was praying, I think some of you, the relationship thing's a big thing. The relationship thing's a big thing. Maybe it's loneliness. Maybe it's chasing after someone who's not good for you. Maybe it's some sort of people pleasing of a boss or something. But I say release it in Jesus' name for the resurrected life is not about that. I'm going to spend a little bit of time in quiet for you guys just to spend time. And, and I want you to ask this, two people in the room, I'm, I'm guessing. Anyone who's a believer, I, I want you to, I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to, to start pulling up some things that you're chasing that are just dead. Dead things that you're just chasing that aren't bringing you life. I pray that over each one of my brothers and sisters right now, Lord, will you reveal through your Holy Spirit, for those that aren't used to listening, the, the Spirit will just start to reveal some stuff. And you just kind of, pray into it and deal and, and let the Lord deal with you. And in faith, I think there's a couple people in here that either have fallen from the Lord or are far from the Lord. Now, I don't know how else to say it. Jesus is the resurrection and he is the life. And I've been to too many graveside services to let you know that this life is short and it's fading. And there are moments that are important in your life. And I... Jesus is at your heart and he's knocking and it's up to you to open the door. Jesus has done everything that he needs to do. There's something that's hardened in your heart. I feel that very strongly. There's a hardening of hearts that have happened right now. Just soften it in Jesus' name. If there's anybody who's like, Lord, I need to recommit my life or I need to give my life to the Lord. Just say this, Jesus. 
I turn my life around. I repent of, the, of chasing the dead things, looking for life. And instead, I put all my hope, all my trust and lordship in you, Jesus. You are the Lord of my life. And it's through your resurrection that we get to join in your glory. Not anything that I'm going to do, not anything that I have to do. Instead, I just have to do this. I believe that Jesus is Lord of my life. If that's you, that's opening up your heart, and Jesus is going to come in. The Holy Spirit is going to come in right now in Jesus' name. This is a moment. You can keep going down the train. You can keep looking for the dead things and or for life and the dead things, but you're always going to end in emptiness. You just are. You can debate it all you want with me, but I'm a guy who was addicted to drugs and alcohol, who was chasing everything to fulfill the hurt in my life. And Jesus came and said, all that emptiness, all that sorrow is going to be gone, but it's only in me. You have to hear me say that. You're looking at a resurrected life right here. If you knew me in high school and college, you would not see me up here preaching this message. Jesus saved me. And he's calling you. And it's up to you. Has nothing to do with anybody in this room. Has nothing to do with me. It's you and God right now. In Jesus' name. If that's you, you're saved through the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.